make sure you have that strong foundation. And if you feel that your campaigns aren't working as well as you had hoped or things are, you know, go back to the foundational pieces, um, look at your targeting, look at your exclusions, because that's usually where I find the areas that need the most improvement. On this episode, we're joined by employee number 40 from Instagram. And on this episode, she shares social media ad buying tips. It's phenomenal. Do stay tuned. Well, well, welcome to 2X e-commerce, the e-commerce marketing growth podcast where you ask questions and I, Kenei, answers them. Also hear from proven marketing growth experts who are number one or number two in specialist areas of online retail marketing. So if you work in or own an online retail business, listen in, get involved, join me, and let's put some fuel to skyrocket your e-commerce growth. So on the inbound marketing strategies, how do you beat Amazon? Natural search and our search engine position is critical to the customer flow through the website. I personally would not have an account process interrupt checkout flow at all. My favorite customer lifetime value calculation is an easy one. It's your average order value times that purchase frequency times uh, your customer lifespan. I'm Kune Campbell. Let's get rolling. Behind on planning for Black Friday and Cyber Monday, Clavio is here to help. Clavio is a growth marketing platform chosen by the innovative direct-to-consumer brands you love. And the results speak for themselves. Those brands have made more than $3.7 billion in revenue through Clavio in the last year alone. With the holiday season right around the corner, Clavio has created the ultimate planning guide for crushing those holiday revenue targets. From marketing creative to segmentation strategy, there's still time to implement proven tactics for more personalized marketing. Take charge and own your customer experience. Whether you're a billion-dollar business or starting up, Clavio is the growth marketing platform to help you win this holiday season. Visit clavio.com forward slash 2x to get Clavio's holiday planning guide. Remember, that is K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com forward slash 2x. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. I'm Kune, your host, the podcast dedicated to rapid growth in online retail. On today's episode, I am joined by Erin Korn. She was employee number 40 at Instagram and she was instrumental in the global rollout of Instagram's advertising solutions. She actually led their product marketing communications for their global rollout and developed their first ever digital marketing campaign. She spent about five years in at um, Facebook and and Instagram because yeah, Facebook acquired Instagram early on. And then she went over to Amazon to oversee their entertainment advertisers and, you know, worked with a ton of Fortune 500 companies. She more recently has launched Showbird Media, a digital marketing agency that helps direct-to-consumer brands grow and scale with social advertising. On today's episode, we talked, we talk, we talk, we talk, we talk about um, advertising as a whole, you know, digital advertising as a whole. 
we went really strategic on, you know, um, what you really should, what kind of, you know, assets you should be using, what kind of messaging you should be geared to at what point in the funnel. And then we go really technical, really particularly on the Facebook advertising platform. Um, we talk about audiences, we talk about media buying tactics, we talk about how to structure your campaigns and um, we talk about the funnel and everything she said resonated with me. It's a great episode. We actually even you know, recorded it live. And so members of the Facebook ads group, our Facebook ads group called e-commerce growth accelerator, were able to ask questions on this interview and you did hear me, you know, so read them out to her. It was, it was phenomenal. It was, it was really, really enjoyable. Um, enjoy this episode. Let me know your thoughts. And, um, if you haven't already joined our Facebook group, the e-commerce growth accelerator, enjoy. Hi guys, Kune, Kune, Kune Campbell here. Um, I'm joined by by Aaron Korn. Um, you guys have been super excited to, to have this. I, I sent out the invite yesterday and a ton of you guys uh, indicated interest. Some wanted recordings. Recordings will come. I can't guarantee when the recordings will be, um, will be live. We'll go live for this particular interview. Um, but it'll be on the podcast eventually. Um, and yeah, I'm just going to give you some background on Erin and then I would introduce her. Okay, so Erin was an early hire at Instagram. She's employee number 40 and was instrumental in the global rollout of Instagram advertising solutions. She led the product marketing communication and, um, you know, pretty much um, was it was was part of the first ever digital marketing campaign, you know, global rollout, you know, um, digital marketing campaign that they're able to, to take out. She's also worked in Amazon. Um, I think she worked, she was overseeing their entertainment advertisers. And she right now runs Shorebird Media out of, I think she's in the state of California. And um, she helps direct to consumer brands grow and scale with social advertising. Um, given the fact that, you know, Aaron has been the other side of media buying, which has been, you know, Facebook's side, I'm, you know, everybody really wants to hear that bit. Um, and they also want to, to hear a perspective on, you know, um, what to do um, to, when you're looking to scale, you know, e-commerce brands or direct-to-consumer brands. Um, without further ado, I'm not going to babble too much. I'd like to welcome Aaron to, to the show. Welcome, Aaron. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Um, could you take a minute or, or two to, to introduce yourself um, and what you do um, right now um, to, to the audience? Sure. Um, so similar to what you had um, shared about my background, I made the decision a little over a year ago to leave Amazon um, because I really felt still pulled back into the world of social advertising and paid social. Mm. And I saw that there was a gap in terms of the resources and assistance available to businesses from early stage, even to larger corporations to help them understand how to scale efficiently. Mm. Um, and that's what brought me to start Shorebird Media. And um, in terms of my services it you know I look at it to break it down very simply there's a do it for you where really it's everything from strategy to implementation of campaigns do it yourself where it's more myself working with your team and I'm, I'm an extension of your marketing team mm -hmm. um, and then there's more of the one-off um, working with you to put together an audit of your account if you're if mm -hmm. you're considering doing more in paid social but you want to understand changes you can make to your campaign mm -hmm. or um, helping troubleshoot uh, working with teams um, internally on more of a consulting basis so um, all around paid social and kind of all of the pieces that that fall into that um, industry 
Okay. I'm not going to go too much right now. I'm not going to go too much into your, your back history. Sure. We'll set aside time for that. Um, I'm going to pick one of the um, terms you use, which is paid social. Mm-hmm. Um, what does it encompass in, in your, from your perspective? Sure. So paid social, from my perspective, um, you know, specifically Facebook and Instagram, it's really everything that um, sits outside of organic. So advertising that could be boosting posts to more of the entry level advertiser, um, running ads across Facebook, Instagram, Messenger, Audience Network, all those platforms within the Facebook brand. I also look at Pinterest as a paid social platform and LinkedIn. And now, you know, very much not to ignore um, Snapchat or TikTok, which is an emerging platform as well. So um, I do touch those different platforms, but of course, not to get too into the weeds, but with some of the platforms that are more emerging like TikTok, there is a certain level of advertising um, spend that's needed to be able to enter into that platform. Interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I haven't explored TikTok um, from an advertising standpoint. I've heard about a lot of organic rich, but we, we can mm-hmm. talk about that, you know, um, very shortly. Sure. Okay. Um, let's get into the eight, eight, hundred pound gorilla in the in the room which is facebook advertising their entire mm-hmm. suite um so facebook instagram whatsapp and messenger um mm-hmm. what's your perspective on the state of um social advertising on the facebook advertising platform now in 2019 going into 2020 by the way mm-hmm. um what, what what has changed um over the, the the years over the last um let's use the one last one year mm-hmm. um and you know what is what's working now Sure. Um, well, I would say from a high level in terms of the formats available to advertisers, really the theme that I've seen carried even you know prior to the past year is the idea about an immersive experience and um, advertisers using motion. So, um, you know, when Facebook first rolled out, it was a very simple image ad or very static. And really, Facebook itself and advertisers are really playing with the idea of making it more of an immersive experience, having people feel like they're part of the experience, even if it is an advertiser because they want to make sure it's relevant and it's something that people are engaging with in a positive way. Um, And so I think, you know, you're seeing more and more of that likely in your own feed, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, or other platforms within the Facebook Inc. um, community is motion and video is really what from an advertising format has been working really well. And that bleeds into um, you know, videos on Instagram Explorer or Facebook um, feed or even within Messenger, they're, they're really testing that out more. Um, and, you know, going off of that in terms of people's response and engagement, Facebook has always taken very seriously user sentiment and their engagement with ads, but now it's coming to the fold of actually how advertisements are ranked within the algorithm and the quality ranking that they receive. So it's now become more surface to advertisers that they receive a certain quality quality ranking if people are um, are positively um, responding to their ads and, you know, conversely, they're, they're negatively com- responding in terms of hiding them or Xing them out or just not responding to them in any way. So it's really um, Facebook trying to bring people and advertisers together to find things that are relevant in terms of their messaging and the advertising format. So both sides are happy and it, it's not a disruptive experience for either side. Um, so I would say just to 
clarify that, you know, engagement is a one that's very important and it's becoming more important in terms of how ads are being served. And then thinking more about putting motion behind advertising. Engagement um, and motion behind mm-hmm. the advertising. Yes. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what about the, the, the whole left brain, right brain argument? Um, it's not really an argument, but um, conversation mm-hmm. um, around the intricacies um, or the technicality um, behind media buying versus creativity. The mm-hmm. um, reason I'm asking is when I asked you about like my, my first, my, my question connecting to this was, you know, around, you know, what's change mm-hmm. and you, you picked on something really important and, and you talked about motion. You talked, you, you started off with creatives. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so what's, what's your take on um, media buying, you know, that technical mm-hmm. bit versus, um, you know, the creatives? Sure. So um, in terms of media buying, um, you know, since being at Facebook in 2012, I think that Facebook has made a conscious effort to try to simplify as much as possible the media buying in terms of the way that they're um, laying out their tools and the opportunities available to advertisers, even um, in terms of media buying, how people are setting up their campaigns. Um, The mark of a strong agency or someone who is sophisticated in many ways was how many A-B tests are they running? How many different ad sets are they running? All the different um, iterations of ads, you know, maybe having 20 different ads per ad set. And that used to show that these agencies and marketers were savvy and that they were really um, leveraging the platform to its full extent. While that still has value, um, Facebook has really improved its algorithm and therefore its delivery system to make it more simple so that there isn't that need to have to set up all these different tests and iterations just to get to an understanding of what's performing well. And you can see that in some of the um, the uh, options that they've rolled out, one being they call it CBO campaign budget optimization. So rather than you having to create a campaign and then maybe have five, six different ad sets that you're allocating budget to, Facebook will do it for you. You set up the campaign, you say $100 a day, and don't worry, we'll figure it out for you. And, you know, I, I think there's always mixed feedback early on, but I have found that as I've tested, you know, campaign budget optimization versus managing on my own, I have found that I've been able to hand over the reins a little bit more and let mm-hmm. that optimize. And I've seen really promising um, re- response in terms of... It, it, it takes time, doesn't it? You it know, does um, take time. And, um, you know, the, the humans who put the system together and, you know, it could be boggy sometimes, but it, right. you know, they, they, they're aware of the bogs and they keep on improving. Right. And the more we use the system, I guess, you know, the, 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 the more, you know, data they get and um, the more we complain to them, I guess, um, <laughs> right. the more they, they improve. <laughs> They improve sure, it. But, but totally. the problem is, that, you know, the money, the advertising money where we burn mm-hmm. with the process. Okay. And that makes a lot of sense. So Facebook is moving, you know, a lot, you know, to automation and they're they're sophisticated with AI, I guess, and, you know, machine learning. And um, Mm -hmm. we need to focus on creatives. Now, um, Facebook keeps pushing this 15 second, um, you know, um, um, duration videos. Mm -hmm. Do you buy that? I do because um, I've seen in, you know, multiple tests that I've run, you know, with my own advertisers and even while I was at the company of different video durations. The, the one thing I say is that it's not always one size fits all. And if you find the best practice for your industry and you find that that 35 second video is working for you every time, 
then of course, you know, use the assets that work best for you. But as a generic general best practice, 15 seconds I've found has been really impactful because people are um, moving quickly on their phone. You're competing with their friends, family, and, you know, potentially sports teams that they're, they're interested in. And so you as an advertiser only have a few seconds to capture their um, interests. Yeah. Well, here's, here's the, here's the, the issue I, sure. I find with that. Um, okay. So if you're a fashion brand, I can right. understand, you know, you using 15 seconds to, to relay your style, your essence, you know, the design mm-hmm. is very visual. And if you like it, you, you like it. If you don't, you scroll, you know, the, right. there's no, there's no, but if I'm selling an electronic and I'm trying to explain, you know, a new direct to consumer you know, mm-hmm. product, um, how it works, and I'm not Coca-Cola because I was speaking to to um, to our Facebook, you know, advertising um, um, the the, the, the consultant or whatever mm-hmm. you call him. And um, he, the examples he showed me mm-hmm. were just like big brands. Obviously, right. if like you know, I already know Coke, and if they you know cleverly put together a Coca-Cola, sorry, and if they cleverly put together a 15-second video. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, okay, that's nice. I right. know Coke, you know, that's mm-hmm. a you know brand uplift for them. But if like an entirely new brand mm-hmm. with the new a Kickstarter like product, sure. I don't know. It's I I guess 15 seconds is better for warmer audiences, people who know you. Yes. Mm-hmm. But top of funnel, I, I struggle to um as you said, it depends on all vertical, it depends on the vertical. Right. Absolutely. So, um but it's I guess fashion apparel would be would be um, would be nice. Okay, um, let's take. Do, do you still do, are you still in touch with Facebook? Um, <laughs> um, I would say um, informally, yes, yes, I am. Um, because you know the nature of working there for you know five five or so years, I'm still very much in touch with a lot of my old colleagues there, and. I've been lucky that if there's a need for me to get support, I've I've been lucky to have some resources available to me. Oh, there, direct yes. line. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I don't I don't pitch that to people, but it's it's nice to have if it's you know nice I'm in a bind. Mm-hmm. Employee number forty. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about do, do you live in San Jose or? Um... I actually live now in Orange County. Um, okay. so I've slowly made my way down the coast. Well, that's now, south, now. So yes. <laughs> Okay. 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 Um, right. Okay. So why did you not like Amazon? You know, okay. So Amazon, when I'm in Amazon, I want to spend Mm -hmm. money. Right. Right. And, um, you know, there's the, 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 there's some narratives being touted out there Mm -hmm. about, you know, advertising on Amazon. And I hear that, you know, advertising units has grown astronomically. Um, you know, is, is Amazon, viable as a platform to to latch into you know um your 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 media buying strategy sure yes absolutely so let me clarify i i absolutely enjoyed my experience working at um, amazon and i it was a really positive experience for me um because when you're at a place like Amazon, you're just in awe of all the different pieces that Amazon has their hands in, in terms of everything from groceries to pharmaceutical. Really, it's it's amazing. And so it's run very efficiently. And there's a lot that I've gained in my career from being there. Mm. Um, from an advertising perspective, 
Um, I really do believe that Amazon is a sleeping giant right now for um, people who might not already be running on Amazon. Mm -hmm. If you think about the, similar to the, you know, Facebook's argument about data, if you think about the data that Amazon has on shoppers, what they're, what they're looking for, what they don't even know they want yet, but their purchase behavior is indicating, um, there's just, that has become the one-stop shop, especially in the U.S. for people to just buy things because of the ease of purchase, the customer service is so positive. And so mm -hmm. from an advertising platform, um, there's so much available to advertisers from, you know, more search focus advertising to even ads that I personally didn't know were available. Um, as you mentioned, I worked with entertainment clients. And so um, these were people who were trying to promote potentially new movies that were coming out or fall TV shows, which obviously are not native to Amazon. Um, but they worked incredibly well because people were in a discovery mode. That's where they found out about these new films. And also mm -hmm. from an agency perspective and client, Amazon's very interesting because they work very closely with clients to help customize and build out creative. So they don't feel like they're in a, a box um, to have to create something. They can really do these expansive ad formats and also be on places outside of Amazon, um, amazon.com. They'll be on the shipping boxes. They might be mm -hmm. on the treasure truck that drives around. So there's a lot of different extensions for advertisers. Mm -hmm. So from an agency perspective, that's exciting to a lot of people. Amazing. Amazing. And then on the Amazon format, um, mm -hmm. what worked from a direct response perspective? What, what, you know, what kind of success did you, did you see? Yeah. So um, I would say they've made strides to make um, search paid search on Amazon more available to um, advertisers. So rather than having to have a certain level of spend or a representative, um, they're now opening that up to advertisers to be able to purchase. But I've also found that, you know, even display ads within Amazon um, worked very well because it's just, there's so many options as a, as a purchaser and just having potentially that sponsored result as you're buying something to maybe um, encourage you that, as an example, if your mom buying diapers, hey, maybe you should also buy um, wipes or kind of that add-on. And it's that nudge that really helps people make the purchase. So that kind of assist of an ad um, still does very well. And, and the conversion rate is very strong on those types of ads. Mm. Are CPM still low on, on Amazon? They are relatively low, but again, that's kind of a, a hard one to answer just de depending on the industry and the brand and the placement. Mm -hmm. um, for entertainment, you might see the CPMs are a little bit higher because they're more focused on brand and awareness, but that's par for the course if you're doing more of an awareness campaign on digital mm -hmm. media. So it, it does very much depend, but I think it's more competitive right now. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, so back to Facebook. Um, mm -hmm. So Facebook success, F Facebook seems to be a victim of its own success in the sense that mm -hmm. they feel like there's a touch point at least a few times a week and that they're helping you know, every, you know, every day, every month, every year, they're, they're new advertisers on the platform. Mm -hmm. And some of these advertisers are whales, essentially the yes. conglomerates, um, they have dollars to spend. They think it's TV and, right. you know, they're using that mindset to, to buy media. And that is doing two things. It's taken um, a lot of, um, you know, um, bootstraps, bootstrappers, it's making it difficult for a lot of bootstrappers. Mm -hmm. And it's also stimulating um, a lot of 
funding into like, you know, direct, I'm, I'm talking about the e-commerce space. Yes. Um, so a lot of direct to consumer, you know, um, brands seem to be looking for more, you know, angel and venture um, mm-hmm. investments to spend and compete, you know, against this, these mammoths. Um, what, what do you think is, is going to change? Are we going to see more of that activity? Um, is Facebook cognizant of, um, you know, smaller players or, um, you know, is Facebook just going to morph to, to TV at some point? So just to break down your question a little bit, I think one, how is Facebook dealing with potentially the competitive environment on mm-hmm. Facebook? Um, and then where do I see kind of Facebook morphing down, down the Correct. road? Um, so in terms of the competition, I think that that's absolutely true. Um, we are seeing more competition, especially, you know, in the DTC space, as you had mentioned, when you think about all of these digitally native brands that are coming about, um, it's, it's definitely creating more, um, competition for even those that are bootstraps, um, that are just trying to start, you know, a Kickstarter or they're really early stages. Um, I would say to that, that, you know, while my focus is paid social, I'm very cognizant of all the other marketing channels and what how paid social fits into that. So um, don't look at paid social in a silo. Really think about how you're um, using your other marketing channels as a, um, a business to assist you in, in scaling. And so what does that mean? Potentially um, use Facebook to help grow awareness or get people onto your email list. Email marketing, I know it's not very exciting to a lot of people because it's been around for so long, but time and time again, I see the highest value um, converters for my clients that are um, email subscribers. So really nurturing your email list, but getting those leads potentially from Facebook, um, not ignoring your landing pages or mobile site, making sure that when people are landing on your site as a result of getting a Facebook or Instagram ad, that it's mobile optimized and that you're not losing money. So I guess the answer is you should still use Facebook and Instagram, but don't have that that one platform do all the heavy lifting for you. Make sure that you're also optimizing your other channels to help you. Um, and, you know, also, as as we all know, there have been some sh- shortage outages here and there. And, and you know, people feel that hurt if that's where they're putting um, every egg in that basket. So having strong email, having Google search and SEO, I, I think that's critical. Even if Facebook is doing the best for you, um, I always advocate that to people. Um, in terms of, where and and where how is Facebook responding to that? I think that you can see in some of the recent developments of platforms and advertising opportunities, Facebook sees that there is a need and a demand for more um, inventory. And so recently, Facebook rolled out search results, and so that used to be an area that Facebook was. Um, testing for some time, but now, especially for direct-to-consumer brands, being able to use search results um, in your advertising, that opens up a new um, inventory source. Instagram, um, you know, not so recently, but in the past few months, opened up the Explore tab of their app. So now, um, advertisers can purchase there and so and in stream videos. So I think there are more sources of inventory coming out. WhatsApp, we haven't even um, touched yet, but I, I see that that's going to be an opportunity in messaging. So knowing that Facebook is aware of that, it's it's in their best interest to find more inventory for their advertisers. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I, I think, you know, they're very cognizant that people will go to another platform if they're finding that it's becoming too expensive for them. Mm-hmm. Mm. Super, super interesting, you know, times. Um, so like campaigns you've been involved in, um, mm-hmm. there was one I, I came across on, on your website, which is, um, I think it was Chappie Warp. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and you know you you focused on on you know ROAS. It was like a five x ROAS, thirty percent decrease in cost per purchase on Instagram, which is brilliant, and then increase in you know average order value. What is your north star? What metric is your north star um, when it comes to um, you know Facebook advertising? Sure. So when I work with direct-to-consumer brands, I think one metric that um, can really be applied across the board is really return on ad spend. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think it's critical for brands when we start working together to be very clear about what they consider to be a strong return on ad spend and, and what they think would be acceptable based off of you know, their own marketing spend, um, the costs that with their own business, but I would recommend anything above a two to a three is considered good performance. So, um, but I think it's very important to have those goal setting conversations before you even start running a campaign. Um, from there, you know, I always recommend cost per acquisition as a metric to be aware of. Um, a conversation I often have with clients is they're looking to me to define what a good cost per acquisition would be for their business because mm-hmm. maybe they're just haven't been in the digital um, space for marketing or very long. Mm-hmm. And I think um, having those numbers and metrics nailed down as a business is critical to their success because there's a line between profitability and losing money, especially on Facebook and Instagram, where if your average order value is $70 and you're paying $100 for someone to purchase, it's just not going to you know, be mm-hmm. profitable. Um, so I'm going off on a bit of a tangent, but I would say ROAS, cost per acquisition, um, you know, cost and cost per acquisition, sorry, is speaking to cost to acquire a new customer and cost per purchase, meaning cost for you to spend to get someone to purchase an item. Um, so those are the metrics I look at. Of course, CPM, CPC, those are all important secondary metrics, but I, I would focus in on those for direct-to-consumer brands. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Um, so taking two steps back to your Clavio, or to your email um, mm-hmm. comment, you know, email marketing, the importance of email marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you how are you seeing best-in-class brands, you know, um, make sure that their owned media um, mm-hmm. gets the most out of their Facebook advertising, actually, how, how do they, you know, properly integrate um, mm. their paid and their owned, especially email, um, to, to ensure sustained growth over, mm. over time? Um, yeah, I would say from what I've noticed, well, one is just nurturing their email list um, and being very consistent um, with, you know, the communication, making sure that keep them top of mind. Also, I see that with a few of my clients and it works very well is offering incentives just to their email list, just on their newsletter. So having promotions that just go out to their email newsletter and they don't go out on paid social um, because then it's a value to them to be on that list and to feel like they're kind of a VIP getting a first peak. Um, and in that same vein, maybe if they, d- depending on the direct to consumer business, if there's a new collection coming out or a new feature, a new product, making that email list aware of it before, you know, potentially your cold or warm audiences, mm-hmm. I think helps keep your customers loyal to you, but also keeps you top of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's very important. And also, you know, on the other side, from paid social perspective, be very mindful of how you're messaging your email list on other channels. Um, make mm-hmm. sure that 
you know, it's, it's okay to message them or follow up with them on other channels outside of email, but just do it in a way where you don't feel like you're using the same blanket message for all audiences mm-hmm. when this is a loyal customer base that you have. So just being really thoughtful about all the different touch points that you have with them. Super, super interesting. Um, another question I had or have is in relation to Messenger, you know, mm-hmm. um, what are your thoughts on building out a Messenger list? Uh, do you think it's, do you own that list? Um, would you, would you, would you, you know, put, would you focus on Messenger? Do you think it's a fad or um, do you think it's something to, 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 to put your energies on? Um, I do believe that Messenger is something that is going to um, be a long-term um, product or opportunity for businesses. Um, and I, I see that, you know, a lot of businesses, depending if they're service-related or apparel, um, a lot of my clients get messages from interested customers or just feedback um, throughout the day. And so I do think it's important to pay attention to that because it is kind of another email source if you look at it that way. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, potentially having a messenger bot or some quick responses available to kind of take some of that work off your team. Or even if you have someone that's monitoring email, start to pay attention to what are the common questions we're getting? What are some of the insights we're getting from this group of people that are messaging us? Um, Because it is another customer service channel. And so I don't think people should ignore it. Um, I think it's, you know, crawl before you walk. It's important to have someone uh, tasked with that. But, you know, in terms of the the bots and how um, advanced you need to get, I would say pay attention to the volume of requests you're getting and the types of requests to see if that makes sense. And there's ways to have quick responses that don't don't involve a lot of technological um, background or what it costs to do that, if that answers the question. Because there, there, there are lots of, there's a lot of talk around um, using this as a another direct-to-consumer mm-hmm. you know, channel. And, and you, you also talked about, you know, lead using Facebook as a lead generation tool. And I'm going to mm-hmm. I'm gonna talk about that. I'm going to ask you okay. a few questions around that. Okay. I was just wondering, like, if it's a viable so direct response channel, um, you know, some people are you know, doing broadcast in it, but Facebook seems to be restricting um, mm-hmm. what you can send, what you can broadcast. Sure. Um, obviously not to, because there's been a lot of spam over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Oops, um, Sorry about that. I've seen um, that in terms of, you know, I haven't had a lot of um, direct to consumer experience of people sending directly to clients, but I have seen that even if I've reached out to an agency um, or I've reached out to a client, oftentimes they'll follow back up with me about potentially like a a value add, like a freebie or an ebook or something like that, which is a kind of an added value and keeping me aware of them. Or if there's an event where they might be doing a pop-up shop, I do think in that way, if it's um, thoughtful and it's a way that you're not just kind of sending promotions to people one-off, it, again, it, it takes like a very thought out strategy, but I have seen that it can be effective if it feels like it's authentic mm-hmm. and it's something that might not be as easily sent over email or it's more timely, potentially. It might be mm-hmm. easier to send to their to their mailbox. Mm-hmm. What about WhatsApp? Well, what do you think? So this time next year, what, what mm-hmm. are your predictions for WhatsApp as a you know, media buying channel um, and also an, an engagement you know, platform? Mm-hmm. 
That is interesting. I I expected that WhatsApp would have monetized a little bit faster, but I think with um, all that's happened with Facebook as of re- as of late in terms of um, you know privacy and and being really thoughtful about how they're um, engaging with users, I do think that they're probably going to take. Um, some insights from how they're leveraging Messenger and apply that to WhatsApp. I think that there's a huge opportunity. It's a different user base, a different market, um, but I do expect it to be monetized um, potentially in similar ways to how we're seeing Messenger. And I, I'm not sure how they'll do that, but I, I think it, it'll happen probably within the next year just because it is such a, a huge opportunity for Facebook as a company and just mm-hmm. the user base is incredibly, incredibly active on there. So I, I would think that it would be in the same vein of how we're seeing Messenger being used. It'd be interesting if they they share, um, you know, phone numbers, you know, mobile phone information um, with with advertisers or mm-hmm. with, um, with brands on the serve side and we'll see how go, how that pans out i hope okay. yeah i hope that's not the plan but we'll see <laughs> <laughs> yeah with privacy they, they probably wouldn't mm-hmm. want to do that right um so let's you you mentioned um using um it was a very brief mention about leads um mm-hmm. you know, potentially getting those email addresses from your facebook ads as quickly and early um you know on in the in in the process would you run lead generation ads um to on Facebook for e-commerce. Have you ever seen that um, done? I have seen it done and I think it it's very dependent on the stage of the, the business and um, if that's, you know, I guess going back to the why of why they want those emails. Um, I've seen it more so if it's more of a bootstrap company and potentially they are looking to run a Kickstarter or Indiegogo um, and they really have incentive or need to build out their email list. Mm-hmm. Um but at the same time, you know, email lists, as you had mentioned, are, are, are very valuable. And so maybe it's not fully a, a lead gen campaign, but it might be, um, you know, driving people to their website to to sign up for the newsletter might be their primary goal. And so I haven't seen brands like just like a Nordstrom trying to reach out for people just for their emails, but I have seen in an indirect way that emails is something that they get at, you know, if they're promoting a, a certain um short-term sale. So I, I would say if it's more focused on kind of fundraising around there, I've seen it be more of a focus, if that mm. makes sense. What are your thoughts on Instagram stories and Facebook stories? You know, the, the mm. stories format, that nine by 15, you know, aspect mm. ratio, um, creative. Are you, is it, is it top of, where is it in your, in your, in your funnel, um, top, mid or, or bottom? Sure. Um, initially, I was really focused on using it for top of funnel because I found that it was more costly for my clients specifically to be running it for conversion focused brands mm-hmm. or for the conversion focused goal. Um, but over the past few months, I've actually seen that there's been an uptick in terms of the performance for stories for conversions um, for my clients. So really top to mid funnel, I've seen that's worked well. But it does work well for remarketing or lower funnel if it's more customized to the client. So I actually saw a good example the other day of um, Draper Jeans, which is uh, Reese Witherspoon's brand. I got a stories ad from them saying, it's your birthday month. How about 20% off? So they knew it was my birthday month because they probably had my email. So I think that caught my attention and it wasn't disruptive to me because I I would be happy to take um, 20% off. And and I felt like it was uh, more personalized. 
Um, and same with um, one of my golf apparel companies. When they have a new collection coming out, they would rather reach their remarketing audience than their cold audience. And so we've used engaging stories ads to announce a new collection to that more um, specific group. So I think it comes down very much so to the creative. I think that stories can work for conversion, but you have to be very thoughtful about how you're um, messaging them, getting mm. them to swipe up and shop. Um, but I, I think it's an incredible format and it's been working very well for us. It's, it's that segment, you know, the, the audience. So you probably, you know, had your, your, your date of birth mm-hmm. um, collected and um, shared with um with with a CRM or email platform, mm-hmm. exported it as an audience, and um, they put that audience up in Facebook, uploaded it to Facebook, and then created ads around that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I can see more sophisticated um, and large scale, um, you know, um, media buying operations actually mm-hmm. figuring out more data, digging out mm-hmm. more data about you know who their customers are, mm-hmm. and then cleverly saying, okay, now that we have we understand who these are, what will resonate better with them, not right. just on email, but with Facebook. So you're replicating or continuing the conversation from channel to channel. Absolutely. Which, which, Absolutely. Is, which is just mind blowing. Yes. And I, I just would to add to that, I think mm-hmm. um, I'm surprised by how often people don't aren't aware of the opportunity with custom audiences and lookalike audiences, especially mm-hmm. if you've established an email list, like you mentioned, if you have it already segmented or tagged where you're identifying certain traits about your um, your customers, mm-hmm. use that and leverage it on Facebook. Um, it'll be incredibly powerful. And I mm-hmm. think custom and lookalike audiences are the top performing audiences. Interest base is always useful, but it, it, they work very well. And so mm-hmm. I, I think if you have that data, of course, you should use it. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Makes a massive sense. Someone's asking, Mike is asking, if you okay since if you're open to question yes i am mike um how do you tackle page score human nature is to give negative feedback rather than positive mm-hmm. if a score goes low you can start if can you start ads on a new page worst case did you mm-hmm. did you get yes that? that makes sense um i would you know, with the page score, I think, as I mentioned earlier on in our conversation, Facebook is taking user feedback and engagement very seriously mm-hmm. and be more upfront about it. I would, before I would jump to creating a new page or a new account to combat that, I'd be very um, thoughtful about looking at your past ads and asking yourself a few questions. Um, you know, one is what I'm putting out there relevant to the audience I'm targeting. So, is the audience I'm targeting really the best match for what I'm offering? Is it clear what I'm offering or selling? Maybe it's just um, they're not aware of what it is or they're confused. And so for that reason, they're negatively reacting to it. Mm-hmm. Um, is the experience after leaving Facebook, if they click on an ad, is the experience that they have um, in line with what they were at, what was advertised to them? Does it seem like it's uh, confusing or it's um, in line with what their expectations were? And then also is your customer service positive? Sometimes it's not the ad at all. It could just be they had a bad customer experience. They're, they're mad at the airline or, you know, whoever that is, and they're taking it out on your ad. So I would say, um, I know that sounds easier said than done, but really, give some thought to how you're messaging. Are you being relevant? Is this the right audience for you? Because that 
could likely um, happen again, even if it's with a different page, you know, it, it's not the page that's the issue. It might be the content or the, the ad that's causing problems. Customer experience, you know, um, mm. you, you have some people who say, you know, I'm sending you, you know, this red book and it gets to you, you receive it. First of all, it takes ages to, to get to you. Right. And, and then, um, you know, it's, it's the quality is, you know, is poor. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and you know, Facebook sends so f- Facebook sends them a survey, mm-hmm. and they say they're horrible, or you, your ads <laughs> get right. sent to them again, mm-hmm. and they don't want to see it, and they keep right. blocking it. And mm-hmm. Facebook sees a trend and says, "Hey, you know, these guys are polluting our, our platform." <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah, absolutely. I you know one hundred percent agree with you. Cheers. He says thanks. Thank you um, for the yeah, question. So, yeah, Facebook will take you down. So you need to, to look at those ads. Okay, cheers. How about price points? Um, in terms of optimizing, I'm finding that price point is a lot of the feedback that I'm seeing on mm-hmm. client ads. How do you navigate that since advertising on Facebook is already cutting into margins? This is from tomorrow. Tomorrow. Sure. Hi, tomorrow. So the, the question is... Um, Users, if I'm listening correctly, um, are commenting on the price point maybe too high of of the product that's being advertised. She's actually saying, I'm finding that price point has a lot of the feedback that I'm seeing on client ads. How do I navigate that since advertising on Facebook is already cutting much? I think she thinks the the ads, the you know, the price points for, for, for the accounts she's working on mm-hmm. um, are probably higher than expected she, she wants she's probably considering lowering um the the price points of she, she's thinking the price has an effect on the performance of ads the price of the product of the product yes i see um price so, point is too high yeah okay um i would say for that um there, there's two things so the price point um if there's a lot of feedback from cu- the customers or people that are getting the ad saying, this is, you know, I'm not paying $80 for a t-shirt or whatever that feedback might be, look at your targeting first and foremost before you make the decision to maybe change your price point because that's then, you know, coming back to your business model and and what's most profitable for you. I had an average, a client that, you know, they do get those comments here and there, but it's really about honing the targeting in. Um, and so some levers that you have available to you is household income, um, their location of where they live, college education, not to say that because you're college educated, you necessarily have the funds to pay that amount, but it's these kind of layers that you can add on to help you get to that consumer or even layering on targeting of brands that they're also interested in that might also be higher price points that you can be more honed in on your your client base and reach people that are willing to spend that amount of money on the shirt. I think to make the decision to have to change your price point just because maybe some of your audience doesn't agree with it might be um, too quick of a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that's that's the business's decision to make. However, mm-hmm. um, oh, go ahead. No, go, go for it. Oh, I was going to say, if it seems like even all of those steps have been taken and it's still, there's a response of this is too expensive, also think about how are you messaging your your um, potential clients? Are you just going straight to them with a purchase this now? Are you introducing the brand? Are you bringing them into the fold of why is your um, product of value? Why kind of substantiating why you're spending this much money? For example, is it a sustainable product? Is it um, a bestseller? And really helping bring them into the fold of 
you know, helping them understand the value of your product first. If you're going to them directly with a buy this $90 t-shirt now, I think the feedback you get might be more negative than if they were mm. maybe more educated and learning about your brand became more loyal followers. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're selling them value. Question around your first the, your, your first answer um, mm-hmm. around the audience, you know, honing into, you know, um, particular demographics. Mm-hmm. Um would you test with CBO or would you, would you go non-CBO here? Would you test audiences with CBO? Sure. So I personally, and it's very um, dependent on, on the person, but I've personally, especially when CBO first rolled out, I tested the audiences without it just to give me some confidence that I felt like I had done my due diligence. I gave each audience a set amount of budget to see what was working well. And then once I had some clear winners and knew, okay, these audiences just are not converting for me, but I had, three or four that I knew were just performing well for me, I then created a new campaign with CBO because I had the confidence to know that, okay, these are strong performers. I'm going to let Facebook now optimize towards them. But especially with a new client who I was testing different audiences with, I wanted the confidence to feel like I had more control over that. Mm -hmm. Um, Because on the other side of CBO, I've seen feedback and, and I've experienced myself that Facebook's algorithm sometimes can pick a winner too quickly based off information in the algorithm, it deems to be um, valuable. It might say this is performing well, but your metric is cost per acquisition and it's too high for you. And so it might not match up your expectations versus what Facebook thinks a strong performing audience is. So Mm. have some controls in place and then maybe open up to CBO after. There's there's no need to have to start from there. So non-CBO and then test the the winners in CBO. That's that's been my experience. Um, But if you, yes, if, if you have audiences you feel strongly about, you can go straight to CBO if you find that works well. Okay. Okay. And then um, what about, um, I was going to ask you another question. Um, Hold on one second. There's a fan here. One second, please. (laughs) Turn it off because it's going to give, give us terrible feedback. Okay. Um, yeah, um, yeah, I think that that pretty much answers answers my, my the, the the question. Okay, um, any other tips um, around? Yeah, Black Friday. We're going to talk about Black Friday. So, um, you know, what are? Who's, there's another question. What about exclusions? But we'll talk about that. What about Black Friday? Let's let's talk about Black Friday. What mm-hmm. what um what what are you doing now? How are you 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 probably prepared already um, <laughs> for, for those for you know for, for for those listening who are you know trying to get those you know last minute um, mm-hmm. you know, um tips through to action. Um, what, what what what's your guideline? What's your quick guideline? Erin's quick guideline to, to Black Friday success. Sure. So I would say more tactically, um, when Black Friday comes around in the holidays, Facebook's review time for actually reviewing ads takes longer just because of the increased competition. So s- prepare early, get your creative uploaded, get your ads uploaded, even if you know they're on pause. That the way they've gone through the system, they've been reviewed, and you feel that you have the confidence to know that if it's a flash sale, potentially, or it's a short-term offer, that it's been vetted by Facebook and it's not sitting in review process and you've lost your window to even launch your ad. So prepare, prepare, prepare is very important. Um, expect costs to go up. That happens every year on digital as a whole, but especially on Facebook and Instagram. But I will say that 
the um, benefits exceed, you know, the cost. Um, people are more apt to purchase during this time. They're more apt to make kind of um, a, a purchase that they wouldn't regularly be because they're in that mindset. And so um, knowing and preparing for that, but understanding that there's there's a higher demand on the platform. Um, also, I would say for Black Friday, Black Friday, don't look at it as your only opportunity. There's a lot of opportunity after Black Friday, the day after, even into January when people have gift cards or money burning in their pocket where they're ready to buy. I think a lot of people get excited about Black Friday and think that's their one shot. Um, I would leave budget in your uh, available to you to use for January even to um offer promotions because people are very opt to, you know, that that's extended beyond Black Friday and the holidays now. And so being yeah. smarter about how you use your budget. So, so in the UK, um, mm. the Black Friday was never a thing. Yeah. Um, till, till the internet. <laughs> the internet ruined things, right? <laughs> right. So till about 2015, um, mm -hmm. you know, s certain stores started to, to run Black Friday. They were like US, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, you know, US stores with, with the UK presence and then everybody just caught wind. What used right. to happen was um, we, we have what's called Boxing Day, yes. which is on the 26th, mm -hmm. right after Christmas. Um, the, the the sales are ridiculous. There's a store called Next and they just uh -huh. drop prizes to like 70% off and then queues, people get there by 5 a.m. Oh and then we have the January sales. Mm -hmm. And you know, that is that used to be are are like a, a, a shopping period, although you already spent overspent on on gifts, right? Um, prior, but like yeah, because they know we're skint after <laughs> um, after 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 Christmas, they drop all the prizes, which is right. logical in a way. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you're so you're so spot on in regards to the opportunity in January. Yeah, and and the last thing I would add, um, in terms of being prepared is you know, teaser ads or kind of teasing any promotions or new collections or exclusives that are coming, um, getting people excited, building up that buzz, but also using that to leverage them as an audience. So if you have any videos or or fun kind of teaser ads of, you know, stay tuned, you can then remarket those people that you know had already viewed or engaged with that ad and, and mm -hmm. follow up with them down the line. So I think like building that buzz and excitement um, is important and not to feel that you have to do it, you know, just a day or two before Black Friday. You can build up the the excitement about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those audiences are really important to, to retarget. Okay, there's just one more question here, okay. which is, um, what about exclusions? Do you exclude people in the funnel? Yeah, that's a very, very good yes. question because Facebook claims to allow us trust its algorithm. So let, let me finish the question. Do you mm. exclude people in the funnel? I like exclude video views in the last 30 days. What's important to exclude and at what stage? Mm -hmm. That's a very important question. I exclude uh, website visitors. So website visitors over say the past seven to 14 days from my cold oh, audiences. Okay. Yes, because Otherwise, it's um, meddling your results, just, and also they're just yeah. It's just and and also the way you're messaging your your cold audience should be very different, as you know, than how you're messaging loyal customers or past purchasers. So, um, also with lookalikes, I find this happens very often when I'm auditing an account, even if they're very savvy. Um, they might layer on all their lookalike audiences onto one campaign, which then means you're actually bidding against yourself. So, making sure that if you have a lookalike audience of one to 5%, you're not then also 
adding on lookalikes of 2%, 3%, 4%, because you're just Mm -hmm. targeting the same people over and over again and potentially bidding up your price because you're just hitting the same people over and over by accident. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think sometimes it's even as simple as, you know, having a Google Doc open or writing on the back of an envelope, like your funnel, who you want to include and who you want to exclude, because sometimes as you're building your campaigns, it's very easy to make those mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the end, it'll make you more efficient and it'll help you also very clearly bucket out your audiences and understand what the value of a past website visitor is versus a cold audience versus a warm. Um, Mm. So exclusions are incredibly important. And also um, excluding interest base, you know, potentially, uh, you know, one client I had just wanted to make sure they're only reaching people of a certain um, occupation. And so, you know, excluding occupations, excluding locations, potentially um, Mm. not excluding, but being very thoughtful about your age range and, you know, Sometimes if you target an age range too wide, you, it might cost you more. So I think being very narrow in that way is important, just as important as using lookalikes. Mm-hmm. And um, so for more established campaigns, um, mm-hmm. you're, you're running, say, campaigns of uh, six months or, or, or nine months, mm-hmm. what what percentage of budgets are you putting on um, cold audience targeting versus, you know, warm yeah, that's a good question. I probably should be putting more into cold than I am, but I would say I've been probably putting 30% into cold, um, 70% into consideration and then remaining into remarketing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it depends that we cannot, we always um, can add more into the cold, but I found that, you know, that's helped to sustain often if I'm scaling, if we find that we want to increase the budget that we're putting into Facebook, we tend to shift more of that budget into cold audiences so we can grow our pool. Um, but for some of the campaigns I'm running at the budget that we're using, it's more like 30% is cold, but I, I know people will come back to me and say it should be much more, but at this, at this stage that we're in, that's what we're, we're doing. But I think it's very important to keep nurturing the funnel and making sure you have more of a cold audience coming. And, there's, there's, and sometimes, you know, um, clients will also get a bit nervous if the mm-hmm. raw, if they're not hitting ROAS. And right. the more you, 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 you pour in cold, Mm-hmm. You know, the, the 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 more it's going to affect ROAS, you know, downward, downward. So, so you have to really b- balance your expectations and mm-hmm. cash flow is a thing, really. Right, so, absolutely. So, yeah. Okay. Um, going back to exclusions um, um, for DPA campaigns, um, mm-hmm. so um, or dynamic product ad campaigns. Uh, what what do you what do you exclude you know there for like your ad to carts your um you know view your view content your people viewed you know products your, your bottom of funnel basically sure so um for the clients that I've been working with and it depends on the volume of traffic coming through of course to your site and and making sure that you have a large enough audience for it to be effective but I've been using um. 14 days, people who have um, added to cart and and left within the past 14 days. Um, I found that to be effective. Seven days, I think the volume hasn't been there just as of yet to be honing on seven days. But um, I've been I've been just saying like anyone who's been in cart within the past seven to 14 days has been a sweet spot. I think beyond 14 days, um, you know, it's it's too long, at least in my experience, to really bring them back or they might even forget that they went to your website. But mm-hmm. I think that there's also always an opportunity to test different um, times or stages to see 
what's most useful for your brand and yeah. also knowing your customer, how long does it typically take them to complete a purchase? Do they have to come yeah. back to your website a few times? I mean, if, if, I, if, if they have a thousand dollars, um, you know, worth of product in their, in their cart and that is right. average, then they, they, they might as well take, to take their time. Right. But if it's 30, you know, I can see 14 days, not, you know, if someone's if thinking about selling your cart for, for that's $30 in, in your cart, you know, for, for right. 30 days, it's like, they're never going to buy, are they? Right. Right. Okay. All right. Um, any, any other sort of very mindful of your time. Um, this has been golden in the sense that we started out like very top level, very strategic. <laughs> now we've, <laughs> we've gone into the nitty gritty of, um, you know, media buying a campaign. Um, and I think the, the questions from um, the audience actually triggered the more technical <laughs> questions. That's, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so strategically back mm-hmm. to strategy, um, so direct-to-consumer um, e-commerce brands wanting to to come to market um, with Facebook, how would you do it in 2020? How would you do it well for... So say I had an electronic device mm-hmm. or um, a new Gizmo product um, that I wanted to bring to market in mm-hmm. 2020, um, what would be your approach? Sure. I think um, going back, I know we've said funnel probably 20 times in this conversation, but going Mm -hmm. back to the funnel, being really thoughtful about how you're going to introduce your your brand. Well, let me take it back, actually. The first thing I say to people, and it doesn't happen as often as I'd like it to, is doing the work before you even start the ad. So getting very, very clear about who is my customer, what's their persona. And that doesn't mean women who are 25 to 45, that means what are their interests? What's their lifestyle? Um, What do they do for fun? What kind of job do they have? Do that work to build out the personas because that is the foundation of the advertising, um, the messaging, the creative, and the targeting that you're going to use. If you skip that important piece, it'll come back to bite you. And it often has with my clients because um, they haven't gotten clear about who they're even speaking to, or they're going after the wrong client by accident because they didn't do the work or attracting the wrong clients. Um, So I think getting very clear about your personas but then you know as I said the funnel um you know how are you messaging someone that's never heard of you how do you introduce yourself what is your value your mission um what makes you unique why should someone care about you compared to the competition and then finally um you know what is it customer service? Is it people are having really positive testimonials about you? Thinking about how you get someone to care about you as a brand. Um, mm-hmm. And so really one thing about your customer and what matters most to them and what problem you're solving. I know that's not um, anything that probably people haven't heard before, but getting back to the basics, because if you skip all those foundational pieces, it's, it makes it a lot harder to to run effective campaigns. And, and they, they hand over all that data to you. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. you 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 make audiences, you you create hypotheses, you you write copy around it for for the yes, ads. That's right. right. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And then, do you well, how what's your approach to creatives? Mm-hmm. Do you are you involved in putting creatives together, or do you advise um, clients on, on what creatives will work? 
Yes. So um, I definitely advise on creative, but if there's a need for creative services, I do provide that. Um, I have partner I work with. So um, usually I like to see what they have in terms of creative assets available, photography or imagery. And I advise on best practices. Um, Like we had talked about, maybe your video shouldn't be longer than 30 seconds. You need to have very clear branding. Some of those high level um, pieces of creative feedback I provide to my clients and I'll review creative with them and let them know if I think something just won't be a fit for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll also advise them on you really need to have stories. That's, you know, a very important aspect. The positive thing is even if you don't have a, a large budget as a direct to consumer brand that might be bootstrapped or newer Facebook and, um, there are other tools available that make it easier for people even starting out to make really effective ads, um, programs like Canva, Adobe Spark uh, and even Facebook now has templates available to people. Uh, Adobe Spark, I haven't tried that. And Canvas mm-hmm. has added, uh, you know, an, an animation. They, they now yes. do GIFs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mm-hmm. just came across it. I, I yes. was to Canva. I was quite impressed by, mm-hmm. by the template so far. Super, super interesting. And what do you do about like lag? So you you brief the, the you know, the clients around, um, you know, creatives that work and they don't mm-hmm. quite get it. Do you mm-hmm. take the reins of um, creatives at that point in time when you know things are just not working from the creatives angle? Yeah. So if um, we're running a campaign with creative and it's just not resonating, um, you know, I, I think that you have to be methodical in how you're testing creative because otherwise you're you're shooting in the dark a bit. So, um, you know, as much as I can advise on what I think will work, we start there or we leverage the assets they have available to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we start trying different um, ad copy first because a lot of people look straight to the creative asset sometimes the creative asset isn't the problem. It might be your call to action, your messaging. And so we, sorry, I have these lights that go off on their own. Um, we try to test different iterations of ad copy to see if that will make a shift in terms of their conversion rate or performance before we say, let's just start from scratch again. Um, because I think that's better to hone your messaging and then, you know, work on your creative. But if I'm getting assets that I just know are these are not going to work, this is this is going to get a very low quality score, or, you know, whatever that concern is, I will um, provide them with resources or point them to um, a designer that I have in house that can help them and assist them with that. Um, and again, you know, it all comes down to the level of client, the budget they have available, and, and I try to meet them where they are and make sure that they don't feel like that's a barrier to entry because mm-hmm. there's a lot of businesses, small to large, that are doing it very well. And there's a lot of businesses that are very large that aren't doing it well, and they have the budget mm-hmm. to do it. So it's it, it really a matter of just getting to know your audience and being mindful of kind of the best practices. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we, well, early on, we talked about automation, you know, mm-hmm. um, CBO which is, you know, at the ad set level, what are your thoughts on, you know, dynamic ads at um, the creative level? Mm-hmm. You, what, what do you do now? Do, do you take, what's your, your philosophy um, control or um, dynamic ads and let the algorithm figure it out? Yeah. So um, dynamic ads in terms of, I know that there's um, the tool on Facebook where it'll dynamically put together um, messaging and imagery to create ads. So there's mm-hmm. that, but then there's also the dynamic ads I'm thinking of where it's pulling from Dynamic the creatives, state. I mean, sorry. Yes. Um, the one you upload 10, you could upload up to 10 images, mm-hmm. five, um, five, five ad, ad copies. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's five titles. Yes. Up to five titles, up to five descriptions, and then the algorithm just 
mixes and matches and all of a sudden yeah. you know um, things are delivering but you really can't pinpoint exactly and the other problem you know i've seen with that is um social proof so if you're trying to build out a social yeah. proof ad top of funnel it just it, you can't do it with dynamic ads um, yes i i they, work um, they do work yes they do work i think it depends on um I would say your bandwidth, your resources available to you. I think it's worth testing. You can always do that with one campaign and then run your other campaigns as you typically have. I personally have not leveraged it just because I've heard mixed feedback, but I know it obviously does work and it's dependent. I think it's very dependent on the brand. Um, it's dependent on your business. Um, some like um, I'm, I'm just making up like a computer electronic company might be more apt to having mixed match of imagery, but there are some um, apparel brands that are very precious about their branding, their design, exactly. what they're saying. And in that case, I don't like to risk that because I want to make sure that my clients feel very confident about what's going out there. And so in that case, while it might take a little bit more time to match up the creative to the imagery, I feel like it's authentic. It's more relevant to the end user. And, and mm-hmm. so based off that brand, I, I, tend to not do the dynamic ads, but it's, it's very dependent on, you know. And I'm, I'm also seeing, um, so on my feed, this is the personal observation. Um, I'm seeing less of um, dynamic carousel, dynamic creatives yes. coming mm-hmm. in and I'm seeing more canvas being served to me mm-hmm. in the fashion industry, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember the last time I saw a dynamic carousel, you know, Add, you know, the feed, the, the product mm-hmm. feed driven on, but I, I see a lot of carousels um, mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Is, 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 do, do you see that also or is um, that the case with you? Or? Yeah, for, for my clients, um, and the, these are apparel I'm thinking of, the collection ads that, that we're calling them that are actually dynamic ads, they're outperforming carousel because they're, if you think about it, they're more immersive. Um, it takes more um, real estate on the phone. And the exciting thing for a lot of um, different brands too is the ability to use a video in the collection ads. So it almost looks like it's a, a catalog, like a living catalog where you can um, engage with it. And so Carousel really, I think that still works well, but I think collections have outperformed it for that reason. It just feels more customized, more dynamic. Would you run them side by side or would you kill the, the, um, the Carousel? I've run them side by side to see what works best. And then I've, I've turned off the carousel if it seems to be a clear winner for the collection ads, but I always like to give it a fair chance to see for each client. What's, what's the best. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. I think that about wraps up (laughs) unless you have something else to, to any, any more golden nuggets because you've dropped quite a few. Oh, thank you. No, I, I'm just very appreciative for the time and the the questions were, I hope I answered them, um, you know, based off of, uh, the guest questions, but I am so appreciative of everyone's time and I hope this has been useful. Um, I think, you know, if, if there's anything I leave people with, it's one, make sure you have that strong foundation. And if you feel that your campaigns aren't working as well as you had hoped or things are, you know, go back to the foundational pieces, um, look at your targeting, look at your exclusions, because that's usually where I find the areas that need the most improvement. And, and so don't feel overwhelmed. Um, and then having a test and learn mindset, don't feel that, you know, if something's not working for you at the, out the gate, that it's a last cause, it's a learning, it takes time. And, and that's just the nature of Facebook and Instagram ads at least. Absolutely. Absolutely. Before I let you go, um, do you have a few, do you have a few seconds for a lightning yes. round? Um, so oh gosh, yes. question, single, single answer and sure. um, do it. Okay. Five, 
What advice would you give to yourself five years ago? Um, take more risks. Take more risks. Okay. Are you a morning person? Yes. What's your morning routine? Um, getting woken up by my two-year-olds. <laughs> <Impressive>. <laughs> and drinking a lot of coffee. Just one, just, oh, just one. one. Okay, I've got a two-year-old too. Oh, so, boy, got a lot of energy. A boy. Oh, same here. Yeah, lots of energy and he works at weird times. I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, what two things can't you live without? Coffee and... I would say my laptop at the moment. <laughs> Absolutely, same here. I would have dreams about my laptop. Yeah. <laughs> what book are you currently reading? Um, educated. Educated. By yes. Um, you know, that's a good question. I, I just bought it, so I have to, okay. let me see who it's by. I'll come back to that's that right. one. So I'll, I'll find it on, on, um, on, on Tara, Tara Westover, which is a bestseller. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Okay. Um, you've dropped massive nuggets, lots Thank of value. You. People would want to follow you for sure, Aaron. What's the best way? Where are you active on? Um, and where would you like to connect with people? Yes. Thank you. Um, Shorebird Media is my Instagram handle. So just mm-hmm. at Shorebird Media. Um, and of course, S H O R B I R D Media. S H O R E B I R D Shorebird Media. Shorebird. Okay. Yes. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And feel free to message me directly on there if you ever have any questions. I'm always happy to be a resource. Cool. Good stuff. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Take care. So that was a wrap on this week's episode of 2X e-commerce. Remember, you can catch me every week and also send your questions and comments on Twitter using the hashtag 2xecommerce. Keep yourself in the loop by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. It only takes a few seconds and it means you'll get the most up-to-date episodes to help you grow your online store. Do have a good one till I catch you on the next show. Bye-bye.